Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Spark Hub podcast. My name is Alan, and if I sound slightly different, it's not because I've had surgery, it's because I have a cold and have done for a few days now. So apologies for the deep voice and the, the stuffed up nose. I'm excited for this episode because as a parent, I know that there's no manual to raising kids. There's no right or, way, right or wrong way within reason to raise children. And this episode is almost in complete contrast to the previous episode we did. Previous episode, we spoke to Liran Rabinowitz, uh, certainly about his uh, the way that his wife and he limit screen time with their children and to what, what the pros and cons of those are. Eugene is a parent himself. He's also a, fe- a fellow co-worker from a long time ago. And Eugene specializes in design and gaming. And so he's been in the children's entertainment industry for quite a while. And in this conversation, you'll hear somewhat of an opposing view to the last one. Not a wrong one, not a right one, just slightly different on how gaming screen time can empower children, um, but within limits. So as always, there's lots of notes in the show notes below the episode. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Eugene on gaming. So thanks, Eugene, for coming on uh, the Spark Hub podcast. As is tradition, I always like to open with a guest's quote um, about the topic. So what is your quote? Uh, well, I, I have a few, but the one that uh, the one that always sort of sticks in my mind is one I actually saw written on the wall. Uh, I'd like to say that I read this somewhere intellectual, but I saw it on the wall of a, a bathroom in a kid's play center, basically. But it's a George Bernard Shaw quote, which um, as soon as I read it, it's just always stuck which is that we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. And for me, that that kind of underpins everything I do. It underpins my career, really. The design I do, the, the games we work on, you know, kind of everything um, is that that essence of, you know, pe- people have kind of forgot to have fun. And actually having fun is kind of the key, you know, even even as a sort of a, a, a human um, state of mind. If, if if you're having fun, you're learning, um, you're engaging and you're absorbing. Um, and so that kind of, to me, as soon as I read that, I was like, yeah, that's, that, that, that's kind of my mantra, I think. So that resonates. And I 100% agree. I think I have a quote somewhere myself, which is similar to Albert Einstein, which is creativity is intelligence having fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's that kind of thing. Um, it, it's, a great... it's when your brain gets to riff and you're, you know, so many times, you know, in, in kind of agency life, you know, I think of the, you know, the horrible scenario of a brainstorm, you know, and that notion of just have fun, just just go out there and forget about whether it's right or wrong or forget about what other people think of it. It's if it's tickling your brain, get it out there and, and explore it and have fun with it and see what happens, because nine times out of 10, something brilliant will fall out of it. A hundred percent. And I think maybe just um, we should maybe just start quickly with your background and full disclosure. For the listeners, you and I have worked together in the past, and we worked together at a marketing agency that had a lot of entertainment clients, and it was a kids and family focused agency. So, yeah. um, since we've worked together and before and after that, it, maybe just give us a quick overview of of your path in life and your yeah, career. Sure, sure. I um, so uh, kind of b- b- before education and before career, um, uh, and probably when I was about seven years old, all I ever wanted to do was uh, cartoon voices uh, and silly sound effects. So that's kind of that's kind of the way my head was from being a kid. Is you know I want to do something fun and silly and probably to do with cartoons. 
did did design at university and then uh, and then managed to get a, a job at an agency called Foresight. Many of whom uh, colleagues from Foresight are still still friends and and we still see. But essentially. My very first job was doing the designing the website for Mulan, uh, the original Mulan, uh, back in gosh ninety seven, ninety eight, I think it probably was. And very quickly thereafter, um, starting to look at games in Flash, uh, which at the time was kind of still still new, and even gosh, Macromedia Director, we you know did some stuff in that. Um, but really, my entire career has been. Uh, digital fun for for clients, as you as you say, like uh, you know Disney and Xbox and PlayStation and the BBC and you know lots and lots of kids and family brands. Um, and I started as a designer, but, uh, then to art director, then eventually the creative director. Um, always working with teams of designers and developers who who are similarly minded, um, which is which always helps because everybody bounces off everybody else. Um, but yeah, all, always trying to do work that has kind of a fun, a fun spin to it. Um, you know, something, something that engages, something that's entertaining, something that's silly. Um, you know, I used to, I used to jokingly tell people that, you know, my job is basically, you know, fart noises and whiz bang. <laughs> and that's, and that's kind of what it is. But then, uh, about 10 years ago, I, uh, left agency life and started up my own micro agency, I guess you'd call it called Remo creative and managed to carry on doing much of the same stuff that I've, that I've always loved doing. So, you know, still work with people like, uh, uh Disney and, 20th Century Fox, well, Disney again. And then we've kind of branched into more in-venue sort of gaming experiences. So we uh, created all the digital work for Flight Club, um, the darts uh, bar, which is now taking over the world. Uh, And we're working with a couple of other sort of similar uh, social gaming clients. And we also do a lot of animation work and stuff as well. So I, I you know, I still very much, very much hands on, which is kind of one of the reasons why I, I set up on my own is so that I could maintain a sort of a hands on approach, but but also, um, you know, kind of steer the, the work in the direction that I wanted it to go in. So I've been very lucky. Um, and it's managed- a great career, and and I think what also yeah, qualifies, yeah, what also what also qualifies you for Spark Hub is you're a parent. Indeed, uh, indeed, and yeah, it's um, w- the interesting thing is you know having your own focus group. You know, um, I've got a, a nine-year-old and a four-year-old, both girls. One of them fiercely intelligent, and the other fiercely crazy. <laughs> um, so it's nice to have kind of you know uh, two two different mindsets there. But yeah, it's amazing how before you're a parent, you assume a lot. You assume that you know a lot about what kids want, how they work, you know, and I've had really a a whole career before having kids of kind of expanding on that knowledge and exploring it and, uh, and learning from it. But when you then, you know, when you then actually have two little monsters running around every day and you actually see how they behave and how they react and how their, their brains function, you know, it's, it's a quite, um, reassuring um for the, the you know some of what you think you know is true but it's the surprises and and the things that you you kind of look at and you go huh right that's that's how that works or that's how that, what they think about this you know so yeah it's uh, it definitely gives you an incredible insight and what i've noticed is you can never bring what you learn at work home because it doesn't doesn't play <laughs> so you almost have to change your tactic 
there is a desire to always do something different and something new and something crazier and you know a level up from last time and and whilst on a sort of an advertising creative um uh, bent that that kind of works but you know when you're talking about gaming and interaction and trying to create something that people manage to get and they don't have to think about too much especially kids you know trying something new every time is not necessarily the best way around you know we used to have a kind of a joke um when we were looking at new campaigns for new films and thinking you know what what games could we do online and you know, the, the likes of matching pairs or, you know, puzzle games was always kind of kicked around. It's like, oh, ha, ha, yeah, we'll do another matching pairs game. Like, nobody likes matching pairs. Well, you know, the gag is everybody does and everybody plays it and everybody knows how to play it. And it's one of those things that, you know, a four-year-old today is is coming to matching pairs for the first time. And it's quite complicated for a four-year-old, you know. So there's an element of, you know, the, the, yes, try different things, try new things. Absolutely, that's how we develop and grow. But don't discount you know what's already there because your audience is is new every year you know there, there's you know kids age um so you know what you what you think kids don't want today well they they still do so as i said there's there's kind of that element of you know there are formulas that work it's how do you develop it you know how do you deliver that in a more interesting way or you know how do you refresh it um, so there's kind of two sides there. It's, it's, it's trying to do new and different, but also, you know, there's a lot of stuff that works and it works for good reason. Yeah, hundred percent. Interestingly, just to kind of back up a minute, uh, one of the reasons I started this project called Spark Hub is I'm a parent like you are and like everyone else, I hope listening. And it's, things are moving a lot quicker, I think, than, than I thought they would in terms of technology, in terms of addiction, in terms of, you know, any number of, uh, of things that a parent should worry about. And gaming specifically um, is one. I was a gamer when I was a kid, but I had to boot up a computer. I had to learn how to code. I had to be patient. There was all these other skills that gaming taught me when I was younger. And so Spark Hub is really a conversation with different people to talk about these topics and hopefully, you know, think about what our kids would be like as adults, but how do we spark interest in them in children to get them to these good places, not the bad places. So that's my philosophy. But as I look at stuff like gaming, I go, right, my point of reference was floppy disks and coding and 16-color screens if I was lucky. And now yeah. I look at the definition of what my kids have and the reality of it and the gruesomeness of it. And I suppose that the, the question I'm driving to is gaming can go one of two ways, in my opinion. It can be really positive and, as you say, teach lots of skills, but it can also isolate people or create addiction. And so in the way that you create games or in the way that you work on games or in the way you philosophize about games – how do you run that fine line saying this is probably going to be good and not bad, but somehow it can go either way? How, how do you kind of deal with that? I, well, I, think there's, I think there's kind of two, there's two clear lanes in my head. One is creating a game for the fun of the game. Um, so, and what I mean by that is, you know, console games, um, for example, you know, they are there purely for an adrenaline hit, something fun and might be gruesome, might be fighting and shooting. It might be flying. It might be running along and collecting coins, whatever that is. It's purely for the fun of that game. The second channel in my mind is very much interaction. That's fun, which could be anything. It could be it could be filling out a form on a website and it's just done in a fun, quirky way that kind of makes it interesting. Now, that's not necessarily what you'd consider a game, 
But, you know, trying to get people to learn something or interact with something in a fun and interesting way, you know, and attaching a score to that or a level of skill to that, that, well, that's a game. And that doesn't have to be themed. It doesn't, you know, it's not a shooting game. It's not blood and guts and gore. It's, you know, it's something completely different. So I think there's kind of two roots there. And people, when they talk about gaming, I think a lot of people think PlayStation and Xbox and, and console games and Fortnite and, you know, Call of Duty and all that sort of stuff. And that that has a place. Absolutely it does. Um, it's debatable as to how young that should skew. And it does, unfortunately, get picked up by younger kids and they see it everywhere. And, you know, you've, you'll have the same argument about social media, I suppose. But to me, it's more a case of how do we take a subject matter and make that more interesting and that might be a game rather than how do we take a game about this and use it to teach that it's kind of coming at it from from the other way around and i think that's kind of what we've always done is rather than trying to say hey we've got a cool pinball game how do, how do we use that it's more well actually we need to we need something that gets across these quirky characters and some of the themes of the film how could we do that you know for example for for a campaign for disney for example so yeah in in my mind it's less about it's less worrying about what games are potentially doing to our children it, it's it's more how do we just get subject matter across in a much more fun way and a game is a way to do that what is? Let me ask you a personal question. What's your screen time policy in your house with your kids? Uh, we try and well, that in itself is is it's a deeper question because you know as you were saying when we were younger, gaming was uh, you know taking you know lines and lines and lines of code of the back of a magazine and typing it into a computer to program a free game you know. Uh, or sticking a tape deck into something and waiting for 10 minutes while it loads and you know that that kind of element i i think that there's why is there there's amazing opportunities for kids today to kind of learn learn coding and learn computer building and you know things like raspberry pi for example fabulous you know and there's umpteen applications out there that teach kids the basics of coding and and that's all fabulous stuff but i think for most kids today they just pick up a tablet like it's a book that they they don't care about how the stuff gets on screen don't even think about it it's just a tool for them and when we had our our first daughter we used to have a lot of conversations about you know are we happy with her using an ipad and you know what's what's that gonna what's that gonna teach her is she gonna become a screen junkie and as as we've learned over the last few years it's such an integral part of their lives whether at home or at school or wherever they are screens and touch screens and interaction it's not just limited to my kids sitting on the couch with an ipad you know they could be uh, traveling on a train and using the ticket machine they could you know whatever it is they're used to screen-based technology and i think that there's maybe a danger sometimes when parents kind of think well I, I, i'm not sure happy about them being on an ipad it's like it's just a tool um you know it's the content that you need to worry about um and you know, my my elder daughter who's nine, you know, she does her maths uh, and reading stuff on an, an iPad. And that is part of the curriculum. It's set by the school. And as far as I'm concerned, it's fabulous content. Um, she knows how to use it. She's, you know, um, she does her times tables and, you know, reels them off every morning. And 
I, I think that's fine. I, I, what I'm less happy about is when she sits and I catch her playing Candy Crush for half an hour. It's like, come on, you know, let's do something a little bit more constructive. Candy Crush is great. It's a, it's a wonderful game. It's brilliant. But I don't want her sitting on an iPad necessarily playing a game for a game's sake. If it's if it's part of her learning and part of the curriculum and she's getting something out of it, absolutely happy for it. So it's a tr- it's a tricky one, you know. Yeah, I think it's, it's more about the co- as you said. It's more about the content. And the reason I bring it up is because in in running Spark Hub, I've met every spectrum of person. Some who say thirty minutes a day, and it seems to be tied, in my opinion, to like an old TV metric that no one uses anymore, where you had three channels and you get Saturday morning cartoons, yeah. and that was your that was your that was your your cheat day, and then every other day it had to be you know documentaries or something, and that so that there, there's an old school mentality that takes the TV world and applies it to the iPad, which I think is wrong, um, and then there's the other extreme where there's just liberal parents who literally through COVID would just let their kids watch whatever they want and binge YouTube and have no quality control, um, yeah. and so somewhat so, you know parents seem to struggle with both those spectrums, and what I've learned is that. Um, quality of content is one thing but there's a quantity of content as well and also there seems to be uh, and this is an observation across many episodes we're 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 human we need to move and there's yeah. been a, a downplaying of phys ed there's been a debudgetization a descoping of the of the kinetic activities the last guy i spoke to on my last episode said that in, where he lives in gibraltar they banned running in school because they deemed it too dangerous and so right. I, <laughs> I, 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 these are the types of things where I go, there is a balance. And I think, you know, as a parent, I like my child to lead me, but at some point I have to put guidelines in place. And when oh, behavior- look, absolutely, absolutely. It's going to be different cases for different families and different kids. I mean, even our two kids, you know, I see the way that both of them interact with technology. I would probably let my, not, not just because of an age thing, but personality wise, I'd let my older kid probably do more more iPad-based stuff than my other kid because I know that my older one is actually doing stuff that's much more creative and that she's learning. So, for example, she, you know, Minecraft is something that she loves. I think Minecraft's wonderful. It's building, it's imagination, yeah. creativity. I think that's fabulous. The other one probably wants to play, you know, CBeebies games, which are wonderful games. Um, they're, they're absolutely fabulous, but they're, 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 some of them are more just games for games' sake. Well, you know, uh, I, I you know, stress that there is like, some wonderful educational content on CBeebies. I'm not, not having a CBeebies back, but, but it's more she would be gaming for gaming's sake, whereas my older daughter is more, she wants to learn stuff. She wants to build stuff and create stuff. And I think that that's kind of where you have to say, all right, what are, what are they actually doing on there and is it beneficial for them? Um, you know, my, my older daughter also loves writing stories, so she actually uses the iPad a lot. She sits there and types and writes stories. I could say that I'd rather she do that with a pen and paper, but you know what? It's, it's, she can edit it and change it, and it's creative and it's keeping her mind going, so that's fine. But all of that comes with a balance of, you know, you've had enough iPad, you've had enough TV, go outside and bounce on the trampoline, you know, whatever that might be. So that's that's going to be very, very individual. I, I think there's always going to be that same argument that, that you know, going back to the kind of the console thing, you know, parents will have that constant fight with their kids over get off the Xbox, uh, get off the PlayStation and do something more useful. So that's where my mind is. I'm kind of, if they're doing something useful and creative and they're learning something from it, fine. There is no way our kids are allowed their iPads in their bedroom 
they do not they are not allowed to just free surf on youtube um there, there's no way i would let my kids on social media um yeah. you know so there's there's all those kind of underpinning rules we already have in place but yeah i as i said it, it's so much a part of their world that i i don't think you can deny them I think it's, as we said earlier, it's about the content. It's about what are they actually doing on that. Well, interestingly, and I, and I brought this up, curious to the last guest I had, just to give you a background, the last guest has four daughters, and they actually have, a, he, and he works in emerging technology. So again, he's someone in the industry. But they, they, they don't use uh, screens in their household for in, very interesting reasons. And these are four different personalities. But he said they'll get to technology eventually. For now, I just want them to learn how to be human. And so it's more about empathy and creativity and creating stories. And it's yeah. more about imagination without screens, which, again, there's no right or wrong in parenting. But I think it's a fascinating perspective yeah. because famously, Steve Jobs, who founded Apple, didn't let his kids use iPads. And famously, there's a there's a podcaster named Ben Shapiro who's built a whole media empire. But yeah. he's very religiously Jewish and his yeah. kids use pen and paper. Yeah. Uh, until a certain age. So it's it, it makes me think of, a, I was reading about Amish kids, right? And, and famously, the Amish don't use technology. But yeah. what they do do is you can't use technology to a certain age, and then you can have free run of it. Yeah. Um, because we think for 20 years or 18 years or however long it is, you need to develop a connection with a higher power. You need to develop your human skills first. And then, by the way, you can have a run at technology later, which is which I, I find it all fascinating. And the point I'm trying to make is, as I said earlier before, your quote about, you know, we need to learn how to play, I think is is definitely key. Yeah. Uh, and I and I think it's key for the future because I, I don't see a future where jobs are predictable anymore, where employment is predictable, where income is predictable. I think we're in a we're in a gig economy. I think that's going to continue. And yeah. I think you have to develop multifaceted skills. It's not like the old days where you train to be just a lawyer, you train to be just a doctor. Nowadays, if you are doing those professions, you have a side hustle for sure, or you do make money online. Oh, look, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, the pandemic has, has certainly shown that up, um, you know, and the amount of people who, you know, have sadly lost their jobs or had to move into another industry. Uh, I say sadly, for, for a lot of people, it's been a, it's been an eye opener and actually it's allowed them to do something different and taking their lives in another direction. But, you know, I think that certainly my professional perspective is I, what I thought was quite unique, but actually it isn't in that, you know, a designer, while a designer can turn their hands to a lot of things, you know, I think especially when you're running your own show, you know, you have to become a project manager. You have to be become excellent at time management and organization as well as being a designer, as well as being a creative director and an animator and an illustrator and all these other things. You know, you, you have to have all those skills. And, you know, just as a side note, I'm I'm very glad that I started doing my own thing kind of 15-ish years or 15 or 20 years into my career because before that, I don't think I've had all the skills necessary to, to make what I'm doing successful. And I think you're right. I think there's such a broad spread of job description and, and, and people aren't going to just be one thing in the future. And I think that technology is definitely a part of that. I think that kids growing up today have to have to kind of embrace technology it's it's just it's the world around them they can't ignore it and more and more jobs and more and more roles are going to be so heavily reliant on it you know there's mm -hmm. there's there's always going to be sort of what i hesitate to call traditional um industries you know um but i think that the more 
the more kids see is possible, the more they understand, you know, the depth and breadth of the world around them and and what's open to them as they grow up. Um, you know, I think that's I think that's a good thing. You know, and it, it is back to our point about the individual. It, you know, there are some kids for whom it's totally wrong and that it just doesn't suit. And there are other kids who soak it up like a sponge. And as long as the content is is you know the kind of stuff that is beneficial um, to them, and it's not just not just kind of pure entertainment and pure gaming. You know, I I, I really only see that as a positive. I would agree. I and so let me ask you a question that plagues me a lot, and I think it's it's some of the other guests I've spoken to as well. As wonderful as technology can be, are how much do you worry about artificial intelligence, metaverse, people getting sucked into the matrix, as it were? How much yeah. of that plagues your mind as a parent to say that actually the physical world may not be interesting? You're creating wonderful games, you're creating addiction in a good way, but actually there is a real planet we have to run. And how much do you worry that your kids might get sucked into some form of other world? I, I guess I guess I think that, my, well, and again, this is very individual. I, I see my girls as both being astute enough to understand what's what's real, what's not. So if we're talking purely about, you know, things like the metaverse and, um, well, the, the metaverse is one side. Social media is, is kind of the, the big flag in my head. And that's what concerns me. And especially when we're talking about them starting to use social media and the, you know, the, the continuing growth of, of AI, I worry about the content they're going to be exposed to. And I worry about, uh, I worry about social interaction online um that that concerns me deeply um as far as ai is concerned my worry more there is is that they're going to see frankly content that's just not true um uh, or stuff that's being made up or stuff you know interact with people who aren't people and that kind of thing worries me um you know ai per se I still, I'm still seeing it. It's, it's a tool. Um, you know, I think there's, there's an awful lot of talk about AI taking over people's jobs and, you know, making, making certain industries redundant and all that sort of thing. I, I don't necessarily see it that way yet. Um, I, I think it's more, it's a, it's an incredible tool. Um, I, I just don't know that it's going to replace swathes of industries um, as, as people are predicting. And I don't know that, itself it's a danger to kids i think it's the content that's going to fall out of it that's the danger and that's that's an ongoing worry it's a worry i have now about you know what is she seeing on on youtube you know if if she ever goes on there which you know this age she only ever does if, she, if she's sitting with us kind of thing so yeah i i, I think it's more it, it's more a worry about seeing harmful or false content for my kids, but then I, I worry about but it, it's, me. You but, know. It's also, but it's also echo chambers and algorithms and yes, that kind of thing, which, which again, worries me. Now, I've, I've been watching my own children who are 10 and 7, and yeah. as you said, one of them takes to YouTube like it's, it's, it's nectars from God, and the other one yeah. kind of just would prefer to get a piece of paper and doodle something. Yeah. Um, but... The, the one, the, the older child who likes YouTube a lot uh, just seems to watch great, like a lot of the diet is, is great scientific content. He'll come crashing in my room, say, hey, how do, can we blow up the toilet using these chemicals? And they'll yeah. name them and yeah. they'll know how to string them together and he'll know what tools he needs. And that's all great. And then there's the, your, your sort of screechy uh, walkthrough game type 
uh, things, which I which just get him hyper and drive yeah. us all nuts. So yeah, you, you, you get both. But I suppose where I'm yeah. going with this is, is I look at what that what they have available to them, and I think just on the social media part, and I've I've sort of said this before. My personal belief at the moment is that every generation hates the vices of the generation gone by. So. Uh, you know, the vice of our generation when we were growing up, I remember a lot of drink driving, uh, smoking packets, having really nasty lungs put on them because the generation before drunk and drive and smoked. And, yeah. and I grew up believing all of that was bad or you need to at least moderate it. You can enjoy yeah. it and have a cigar with a friend, for example. But, you know, you wouldn't want to get in your car after that. So that's a vice that I grew up hating. I grew up loving skiing and then snowboarding was big and now we're back to skiing. Yeah. And so I look at all this and I look at my kids and they hate Facebook. They hate WhatsApp. They hate TikTok. And, they, and I go, why do you hate these platforms? They're just because they're bad. And I go, okay, well, but why? Like, tell me why they're bad. And they just go, they're just bad. Like, for whatever reason, they're just bad. Just like we used to say, smoking's bad. And mom and dad, you shouldn't smoke. And yeah, you shouldn't I think drink. you're right. There's, there's, definitely, there's definitely a lot of warning about everything. Yeah. Right, rightly. And I and I think as as you know, especially thinking about my nine year old, you know, she doesn't really know what social media means. You know, she's aware of Facebook. She wouldn't know what Twitter was, um, you know, and she kind of only knows what TikTok is because, you know, daddy sometimes <laughs> sits at the kitchen table and 10 minutes later, it's, you know, daddy, are you still watching TikTok? Um, so she sort of knows what that is. But as far as she's concerned, it's funny videos. So I don't know that they've yet gotten that deep into what is social media and, you know, um, talking about that in school. But I think you're right. I, I think that there is, you know, the, there is a little sense. Like she knows, for example, that she can't uh, watch YouTube because there's going to be scary things on there. Um, and the way the line we've always taken with her and, you know, we have all the parent controls switched on and all that sort of stuff. Um, but she knows that there is stuff on there that she might not want to see. And she's quite she's quite a sensitive kid anyway. So, you know, that in itself kind of keeps her at bay. And you're right. It is that same kind of, you know, when we were growing up, it was, you know, just say no to drugs. And, you know, it, it, it's those things that we grew up just thinking, well, I'm just not going to touch drugs because it's just been drummed into me. It, it's a bad thing. I do worry a little bit that the same is going to happen with, uh, you know, with technology as, as, a, as a kind of a general subject, because technology isn't the problem. The content is the problem. And drilling into which is the type of content that they need to be concerned about, that's kind of what they need to, fo- you know, what schools and teachers need to focus on. You know, YouTube is not a bad thing, but some of the content on YouTube is really bad. You know, so it's kind of like how, how do they... How do they tread that line? And there'll also obviously be parents who are like, no, 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 I don't want them on YouTube at all. Thank you very much. I don't even want them seeing the title of a video that could be suggestive or rude or worrying to a kid, you know. So I, I you know, and I get all that as well. I, I think, you know, this is the, a bigger conversation about those controls need to be better. Uh, that moderation needs to be better. You know, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, all of those need to be better at, at controlling but, that. But to argue the counterpoint, they're not in the business of being better. They're in the business of stacking it high and selling it cheap. And, and oh, they're know, in a business. It's a business. They're in a business. And 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 I, I don't know, I keep hearing the stats of how much content per hour goes up or per minute. And it's just asked, like, it just keeps, it's like, it's an exponential curve. And so how do you moderate that many things? And you sort of well, align your community. Yeah. 
we've just done a, a couple of animation pieces for Mozilla, you know, the, 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 the non-profit behind uh, Firefox, for example. And, you know, they are raising awareness of the fact that, for example, when you, when you watch YouTube, you know, the amount of videos that you get suggested that kind of aren't what you want to see. Um, and it's not just they're uninteresting. They're kind of taking you down rabbit holes that are clearly wrong and, and just taking you away from the kind of content you're originally looking for. So it's those algorithms that, that you know, need looking at as well to make sure that actually if my kid's watching a piece of content about, you know, uh, dropping Mentos in Coke and what's the science behind that and, you know, like you said, you know, blowing up a washing machine or, you know, whatever that, whatever that might be, that very quickly can sway into something very dark and very dangerous. And that's what needs to be better. That content suits some people. And uh, if you're an adult and you want to watch stuff like that, that's that's fine. But I don't want my kids anywhere near it. And so that's that's the concerning part is, and, and, and that's why, you know, mentioning earlier, we have parental controls switched on. You know, in a way, there shouldn't have to be parental controls. You know, the, the, the algorithm, the way the content is served should be good enough that actually it knows that what my kid is watching it knows to keep them well away from that stuff or, or me well, you know if i'm well, watching videos about cars and motorbikes i don't suddenly want to see you know anything uh you know darker than that thanks very much well i i wonder and this is what this is where my head goes because actually what you're you're in the you're in the business right you create games and let's not let's be honest you create addiction i'm not saying that's bad but you have a conscience about it you're also a parent so you don't you don't go in there thinking about metrics of, you know, let's say engagement or sales necessarily. You just want to create something that's fun and interesting and hopefully educational, which is great. And I wish there was more people like you in the world. But to offset that, there's people out there who just go, you know what, I just sort of put the most outrageous stuff out there, stack yeah. it high, sell it cheap, yeah. get the kids on it. It's almost like, you know, the old days when you, you, you try and sell a kid in on a football team or a religion or a cigarette or yeah. whatever, because you knew if you hook them for life, you had a customer for life. And unfortunately, now that's existing at scale. And yeah. it's, it's hard to control. The point being is I, I wonder if the value is in authenticity and curation. And what I'm seeing now is, with the, especially with the, with, the, with the expansion of things like podcasts and, and that sort of medium, more for adults, not for kids necessarily, but there is a marketplace where people go and go, can someone just curate all this for me? Yeah. Can someone tell me where the best music videos are, the best science videos? Can someone just... And, and I don't think any of these social platforms are in that business. They, they're in a business to provide a platform. Content creation is separate. So certainly that's how journalism died because of an editorial thing. But, but now there's just, there's just so much out there. And like you, I wake up every day and I'm sure, how do I get to the good stuff? Yeah. How do I find it? How do I, you know, hey, I know Eugene's a great guy and he's, and he's you know, he's, he's, um, you know he's, he's empathetic and he's got his own kids and I'm sure he would never give me garbage. What does Eugene think? And so I... Yeah. You know, that's the kind of thing I see coming out is networks are growing, podcasting is growing, places where you can sort of go and get authenticity are growing in a big way. And I think a lot of that came through, uh, frankly, the pandemic, the use of misinformation. And again, I'm not taking sides in any debates. I'm just saying every side seems to be guilty of trying to shout loud at the other. I guess where I see it most um, specifically with my kids is is in the in the tv shows that they watch now i say tv shows they of course watch them on ipads and on youtube and all the rest of it and and the shows that always get me are the ones that have charm because you know the shows like 
like Clangers or Hey Dougie and of course Bluey, which I just think is one of the greatest television shows ever created. Um, I, 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 I second that, by the way, that we binge on that as a family. Anyway, go on. Yeah, but, it, but it's it's charming. And the thing about charm is that it's not brash. It's not just gags. It's it's recognizable passion and love and warmth. And, you know, you, you, you can you know, you can watch an episode of Blue and you just get it right. You just you, it, it comes out of the screen in spades. There are other shows. Um, you know, which, uh, you know, certain shows containing talking dogs and a teenage boy and seemingly an unlimited budget for gadgets and vehicles. There, there's no moral and there's no charm in that. And it's purely there to sell toys. You know, I don't think I'm saying anything controversial there. So, you know, if that's the TV model, I think the same is true of gaming in that, you know, there are games that are just there for the bang, 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 bright lights and, and addiction. Whereas gaming as a as a medium has it's a tool it's a it's a way to get across content and new ideas and education in a way that is engaging and fun and therefore gets absorbed and you know so it's kind of how do we how do we bring that charm into what we're doing how do we make what we're doing not just feel like it's a, a you know a coin not bash 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 game and actually it's a worthwhile activity and it's actually you feel like you're getting something out of it or kids feel like they're getting something out of it. And I, and I do think they know that, you know, there are, there are things that both my four-year-old and nine-year-old will engage with. And you can see very quickly whether it's just a lacking in substance bash bash game or whether it's something they actually feel like they're achieving at and actually doing something interesting and actually they're getting something out of it. So you can see the difference there. But, you know, you're, you're right. It's finding that content. It's, it's finding where's, where is the good stuff? Well, you know, well, rather- here's the danger. Here's the, here's the, two, the two ways I see it. If we talk about Bluey for a minute, yeah. that's a cleverly crafted show. I would put it on the level with The Simpsons in terms of mm-hmm. how everyone can get something out of it. But that requires great writing, production. It requires a whole bunch of things. So they have a limited amount of episodes. They can and as do. an Aussie, it's it's so many times I'm watching and I'm like, oh God, that's that's just my life. That's that's that's, right. that's what that's we right. like. That's, yeah. So so on one hand, we have content like that, which is gold dust, and but of course yeah. it's it's limited and rare because of limitations on everything I've discussed. On the other side, what I've caught my son binging was these what I call AI videos. It is clearly a robot reading a script, and it's hammered together frames. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'd been pitched by a company that came up to me and said, you give us your footage. We run AI through it. We can identify what frames are going to get more attention based on color, motion, all kinds of metrics. And then the video gets cranked out by a machine based on these things to drive yeah. engagement. And yeah. you, by the way, you put, you put one video in, you get 100 versions of it, and we're yeah. going to A-B test all of them and, and, and what gets the most click. So I think there's two competitions there. Right. There's there's the, the gold dust bluey type competition where we'd love to create more of this stuff, but we it, it takes time. Right. Yeah. Versus the AI route, which is, hey, you just give me one asset and I can sweat it 100 different ways and I'll get a robot to read it in French. And and that yeah. that is you can put out as much as you want in great volume yeah. and fill up the Internet. And so I, I feel that the point I'm trying to make is it feels to me that's kind of the, the danger, both as in your industry, as well as as well as as a parent. I want to I want to skew towards the the high production crafted storytelling type stuff, but it's it's limited supply, unfortunately. It, it is, but I I think that 
one of the I think one of the biggest mistakes that that we make about our kids is their ability to sift you know sift through the you know the, the wheat for the chaff as it were you know they they will see that stuff and go this is just not holding my attention it's just junk and I I see it all the time you know one of my one of the videos that my kids love watching it's a song about the solar system um, and they can tell you all the planets in the solar system and all the moons and all the rest of it you know because of this one song now. That's great. That's fine. Um, I, I'm, you know, and there's there's tons of videos out there, but that do the same thing. But this one has a little bit of charm to it. It's just got s- some nice characters behind it. It's not not particularly high production value, but the content itself has grabbed them um, to the point where they'll go back to it. There's plenty of other stuff there that they've taken one look at and go, no, no, no thanks, not interested in this. So they're they're smart enough to kind of work out what's what's good content and what's not in a, in a way. I, I'm less concerned about the volume of content out there. I'm more concerned about how do we sift through it and get the good stuff. Not that not that an amount of content is necessarily a a detrimental thing. If if you see what I mean, it's more that it, the, the detrimental part is it's just blocking your way. It's it's kind of you know it's making it hard to find the good stuff. But the good stuff, you know, again, like like Bluey, you know, it's it's the content is so good. The kids see that themselves. You know, they'll watch one episode of Bluey five times over rather than 20 episodes of something they find on YouTube. Mm, uh, interesting. So it's about diet. I mean, I guess fundamentally you're yeah. teaching them about uh, about a diet and, and, and preference and filtering. So. I, I think as long as parents like us are paying attention, I have a, a positive outlook for the future. And as long as we stick together. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel that- it's, it's, you know, I think the greatest danger as parents is not knowing what your kids are watching and not knowing what they're doing. Um, you know, there've been a few occasions where I've caught my daughter looking up something on YouTube, sat at the kitchen table. I'm like, mm, hang on a second. You're not supposed to be searching for stuff unless you've asked me and mum what, what you're doing, you know? Um, and that's purely because I, I don't want her to come across, you know, God knows what, um, which is all too easy. Um, so as long as, as long as we understand what they're using it for and direct them, you know, when we see, you know, she, she didn't really know what Minecraft was and I kind of introduced it to it and suddenly it's, it's this, this huge world for her and it's massively creative and it's, and it's, and, and it's wonderful. So as long as I know what she's doing and I understand what, what makes her brain tick that I can go, ah, okay, you might want to do more. And we help guide that to a degree. I'm very happy for her to explore new things, but it's got to be, you know, it's, we have to know what they're doing. A hundred percent. And I guess to sort of come back full circle to your quote at the beginning, we want our kids to play because we realize how important it is for the future. It's now just a case of diet and, and staying, you know there's there's always going to be an element of are we guarding our kids too much i mean you know i uh i can't remember the the, the fella's name but there was an american guy who ran a, a you know a summer school for kids doing dangerous stuff and it was you know lighting fires and, oh it was it tinker school tinkering school. Tinker school that's the one that's the one because and, i remember and, i remember learning about that when we worked together it was one of the case studies we right. had was tink- and there were five things they had to do was light fires yeah back drm uh, build a fort. Uh, I can't yeah. remember. Um, there was like survival type stuff. Yeah, well. and it's that sort of stuff that's I, I, again one one of the, one of the, and I, it may have actually come out of Tinker School, but it was the notion of making things knowable um, for kids to understand that they can learn how something works. You know, if you take a 
if you take a, a washing machine apart, well, there's a big drum in there with a motor attached to it. Oh, that's what makes it spin around. And there's a hose yeah. here that brings the water in. Oh, okay, that's how everything gets wet. You know, it's kind of learning that stuff. Learning there's something behind that screen. You know, there's a, there's a reason things work the way they do. Um, and I think the danger maybe is a little bit of if we, if we safeguard too much on the content, it's like, well, are they, are they missing out on stuff that could trigger other things and other routes and you know, that's where, you know, something like YouTube is fabulous because you can learn anything. Unfortunately, yeah. you can also see anything, but, you know, you can learn absolutely anything. And the amount of times that we'll be sitting at the table and, you know, my daughter will say, well, why this or why that or what's this? And it's like, well, let's look it up and we'll look it up and see a video and boom, there you go, you know. Yeah. Um you know, when we were in Australia, we were talking about, you know, different Australian animals and we we're talking about a frilled neck lizard. And they're like, what's a frilled neck lizard? And I'm like, well, let's have a look. And, you know, there it is on YouTube. And then they watch this funny lizard run across the ground. They think it's hilarious. They now watch that same two-minute video hundreds of times because they think it's funny that the lizard runs funny, you know. Um, but it's triggered, a, you know, what other animals run funny? What other animals have big, funny, frilly necks? You know, so it, it triggers that, that, that curiosity. Well, I guess it boils back to the old adage, if you've got great parents, you'll survive pretty much anything. Well, yeah, but, you know, uh, I, you know, I would certainly would never never pretend to be the greatest parent no. in the world. I, I no, no one does. No one does. But, but, it, but it's, it's down, as we said at the beginning, it's down to the kids. Um, you know, one of my nine-year-old is an absolute sponge and just wants to learn everything. The other one would be happy running around with her hair on fire. So, you know, you've got to... <laughs> You've really got to make sure you're focusing the right content or the right routes to content um, at the right kit. So, Eugene, this has been a fascinating discussion. I, I've learned a lot, and, and it sort of contrasts the last discussion I have. And as I said, there's no right or wrong to parenting. There's just shades of trying different things. And I've had guests now that say zero screen time, and I've had guests that say more or less. And, and I, I think gaming, you know, is is a fascinating space for me because I'm a gamer myself. One of my kids certainly is a is a gamer, and I, I see the value in what you do and the, the type of things you do. So before we wind the episode down, any, any sort of final thoughts? About kids and content, but also about what we're saying about being a parent. You know, one of my other favorite phrases, which I use an awful lot, is every day is a school day. And it goes for kids as well as parents. You know, we don't know everything. Um, you know, our opinions should change regularly. Our What we're learning, how we're learning it, what we think about, you know, everything everything's a learning curve. And I guess that what I would make sure is that gaming is not seen as a isolated, you know, distraction for, for kids. It's, it's, it's a, it's a tool to use to explain anything, you know, and, and again, just coming back to that point I made earlier that, you know, if your brain is having fun, it's learning, it's soaking up and it's, it's, it's open to new stuff and it's, you know, it's in a positive space. So it's, it's ready for knowledge to sink in. And, you know, gaming or doing something fun is massively beneficial, you know. Um, and I, I, I don't think there's probably any educators out there that would disagree with that. I'd like to say as a final note, I'm glad that the cartoon world lost it, a voice actor, but gained <laughs> a gaming designer because certainly. <laughs> well, my, my silly noises get used regularly at home for, uh, for, for, for both entertainment and instructions. <laughs> and I bet you've got a lot of, oh, dad. Stop yeah, yeah, we, we, get, we get that a lot. We get that a lot. Yeah, I, I'm certainly the, still the silly noisemaker in our house. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Eugene, th thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for your time. Thanks pleasure. for your insight. Uh, this was a really good conversation. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, great to talk to you too. Thank you. Thank you.
thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can dive into a lot more on thesparkhub.com.